Let's pray together. Lord, you chose us first and then we chose you back. You are the one that came to this earth and died and rose again. And you, O Lord, are the one that we are all about. And so, Lord, because we're all about you, we're all about your book. And so we ask, O Father, that you would bring it alive to us as we open it up and put into our hearts that which we we need today and for this work and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Ron Hawkins, the transition pastor at CPC. Glad to be with you this morning. Today, we continue in a four-part series from the second chapter of 1 Peter entitled, What Really Matters? Last Sunday, our executive pastor, Petey, did an excellent job at both teeing up the series as well as speaking to the first topic we believe matters most, Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith in our future, the one on whom our faith stands. If you missed it, I encourage you to go online and listen to the podcast or to watch it because, number one, it was really good, and number two, it is the cornerstone of this entire series. Everything else of these next three messages flow out of that one. If you'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 in your pew Bibles, that would be great. You know, speaking of pew Bibles, CPC has long valued getting the faith community actively involved in God's Word. That's why we asked last week some of you to circle and underline some things in those pew Bibles. Another way to live out that, that value is a practice that CPC has been about for a long time, that if you need a Bible, either you don't have one or the one you have is in a language you can't quite understand because of the these and the thous and the thinkists, you know, please take one with you as a gift from us. And in fact, if you bring some guests with you sometime and you know they could use one, please give it to them on behalf of CPC. Calling matters. That's the topic of the day. The idea of calling has basically two different connotations. One, which will be the focus of our day today, is the universal, that is the ubiquitous, that is meant to be everywhere present, calling that each and every believer is to live out as God's called ones. The other kind is the call that is a particular and specific call that leads people into a certain vocation. It could be teaching. It could be um, the mission field. It could be a pastor. It could be a transition pastor. It could be anything that God calls you to. It also can be that, that area of ministry that, that he calls you to. You know, you, you start to do something and you realize that's what you're really made for. And, and so you stay there. It's where you use your gifts and your skills and your passions for the glory of God. If you consider CPC your, your home, but you have not explored that specific calling and or have not engaged in ministry, I encourage you to contact Corey Gregory, our Connections Pastor, or Kathy Wood, as they would love to explore that with you. Because the truth of the matter is, the local church is where most people experience and live out that kind of calling, that unique and special calling. But let's dive in and explore then what is known of our universal calling, the calling that is for everybody. It, again, begins with an all-in and an all-out for the one that really matters, Jesus the Christ. Interestingly enough, in 1 Peter, in this verse, 
Peter starts out with this idea that God chooses us for a people for himself, which is in contrast to how the world chooses. In fact, let's take a moment to look at this humorous way the world chooses. Hey, we got the ball first, so you get the pick first. All right. Um, yeah. I'll take Calvin. Wildcats, baby. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Need time. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll take Derek. Derek? I thought that was a girl. <laughs> pick and roll, dude. You pick me and we roll over these guys. Pilot. Dang, man. Come on. King Andrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's not a real king, guys. Harold, seriously. Jack Shredder. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Jack, he's got no outside game, man. Joe, seriously, man. I didn't tell anybody what you did at camp, so let's do this. Jack Shredder's girlfriend. She doesn't even want to be here, man. She's wearing heels. Harold, Kobe Nash. Kobe Nash? Aaron Rodgers. Dude, he's a quarterback, man. He shouldn't even be here. It's midseason, Joe. Joe, seriously. Hamster. He can only see out of the mouth, Joe. He can't even see out the eyes. Boucher. Yes! We're skins. Reminds me of when I was in junior high gym class. You know, the fear of being chosen last. You know, honestly, I don't remember ever being chosen last, but I do remember having a fear of it. I think the only reason I wasn't chosen last was maybe threefold. Number one, I was smart enough, and so people kind of liked that. I wasn't a nerd, uh, not that that's a bad thing. I also um, was a good enough, was liked well enough that you know, people uh, didn't mind having me on, my, on their team. I was small, but I was fast. So I don't remember ever being chosen last, but I remember having a fear of it. You know, as I was thinking about this, I realized that back in that day, you know, there was one or two students that were chosen last, and I never really gave it much thought because after all, that means I wasn't chosen last. And that's how seventh graders sometimes think. The fear of being picked last or being not picked at all. The world picks winners and losers. Being picked first is based upon performance, pedigree, heritage, lineage, money, looks, and the list goes on and on. But God picks people for far different reasons and in a far different way in 1 Peter 2.9, in contrast to the culture of our day and what it says about picking. Listen to how God chooses his people. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What a picture that paints. It's a big deal. A chosen people. First of all, we're not talking about being picked by that captain in seventh grade on that day in PE class. We're talking about the God of the universe who says, you are mine. The same God that not only created you and knitted you together in, the mother's, in your mother's womb, He is the God that chooses you and me to be his special possession. If you think about it, really, if you think about it, mind-blowing. 
Peter is clearly making allusion to God's chosen people of old, the Israelites. In Exodus, while the Jews were in the desert, Moses climbs Mount Sinai, and God says this about his people. You yourselves have seen that what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a treasured possession, God's chosen people, fallible, imperfect, messed up, yet chosen. The churches that were reading Peter's letter would likely sit back in awe. They understood that God had chosen the Israelites Mind you, not because they were better than other people, but because of his sovereign love and his purposes. But now God is choosing those in Christ to be his own possession. The the Jewish believer would get the importance, but the Gentile Christ follower would likely be astounded to be included in this concept of God's chosen. God chooses. You know, over the centuries since the Bible was canonized, Theologians and biblical scholars have discussed, dissected, argued, put a stake in the ground on what they believe by what it means to be chosen by God. The, the question, the dilemma is usually framed something like this. Are we chosen by God because we choose to believe in his son, or are we chosen by God to believe? It's the Calvinistic versus Arminian debate that's been going on for centuries. And the topic needs more time than I have today to discuss it. Isn't that a good way just to step around that, you know? (laughs) So let me suggest this to you. I am sure that you could contact any CPC pastor or leader, and they would be glad to have coffee with you and explain it all. Right? This is how you know if they're not too keen on that. They're going to say something like, you know, I would love to do that, but I am sure that Pastor Ron would really, really, really like to discuss this with you. Let me summarize with this thought. Here's how I look at it. God's redemptive work in the lives of human beings is much more about him than it is us. I think that's what the Bible teaches. God's redemptive work in the lives of human beings is much more about him than it is about us. Now, that's not to say it's not about us because we are the object of his love and his call. But the process of how someone comes to know the Lord, I think we'll be surprised to find out that he was much more involved in it than we ever guessed We think we made the righteous choice and the good choice, and I think we'll find out, as the scriptures indicate, that he was more involved than we realized. If I've confused you, contact one of the CPC pastors for coffee. Peter continues from one metaphor to another, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. To be called a royal priesthood would also be considered as an idea ahead of its time. The priests of Israel had two primary jobs. Number one, they were, to given, they were given direct access to God like nobody else had. And number two, they stood in the gap between God and the people. 
Only the priests could enter the most sacred parts of the temple where they would offer sacrifices for sin to atone for it, standing in the gap for the people. Furthermore, to complicate it, the priests meant that you were a descendant of the tribe of Levi, for they were the only ones that could be a priest in the Old Testament. So for Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to now proclaim that every Christ follower was a priest, well, that's big news. The people of God now have their own personal access to God, and they now have the profound privilege and responsibility to stand in the gap for others, to be there for those who do not yet know him. And the whole physical lineage thing no longer needed. The concept of a royal priesthood, being royal was something that was both inaccessible and unrelatable because Royalty, like the priests, was also one of those things that you were born into, not simply called to be so. The Jew, hearing this word, would have immediately thought of someone in the lineage of David. The Gentile would think about the Roman emperors who were also came up through the lineage. And to be the king or emperor was clearly out of reach for most. Besides, the responsibility that comes with ruling would cause most people to say, hmm, A lot of pressure. No, thank you. I think a modern-day equivalent could be the office of the President of the United States, although that one breaks down a bit when you think through it, or maybe a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but that one also breaks down because those aren't normally, you know, things that you have to be born into out of a family, although if you think about some of the presidents we've had, there seems to be a bit of a dynasty, and I could name several of those, but anyway. But a better analogy... I think would be Great Britain's monarchy. In 1989, I had the unique opportunity to be in the same room with Queen Elizabeth II. That was really cool. The seminary I attended had several summer overseas missions opportunities, and each summer people would go off, these teams would go off to Eastern Europe or South America or Africa. We were selected to go, my wife and I, another seminary student and our three small children, we were selected to go to Scotland. You know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. (laughs) We spent the summer serving St. John's Evangelical Church, which sat on the hill in the town of Linlithgow, which is in between the cities Edinburgh and Glasgow. When When it wasn't raining, I would sit outside in the parking lot to pray and do sermon prep. This was the view I had down the hill. Did I mention it was a tough job? But somebody's got it. Beyond the lock or the lake is St. Michael's, the Church of Scotland on the left, and on the right is the remains of the palace where Mary, Queen of Scots, stayed sometimes. Our small congregation partnered with the much bigger Church of Scotland, St. Michael's, to put on a holiday Bible club or our equivalent of a VBS. And it was probably this connection that this American seminary student got this, to be invited to worship with the Queen when she came to town. See, this was the 750th year anniversary of this city, and royalty was coming. People took off work. Dads put little children on their shoulders. People lined up to see the queen and the queen mother as they paraded through the protected by barricade streets. And then when the time was right, people, by invitation only, 
were escorted into this beautiful historic church, St. Michael's. There was a lot of pageantry as she processed in. I was standing on the inside aisle as she walked by, and there was a big part of me that just wanted to reach out and touch her. My mama taught me better manners than that, so I refrained. I did manage to worship, but I have to admit, it was kind of hard. I was a bit distracted because that's what happens when you're in the presence of a real-life, bona fide, legit royal. Now, although many of the queen's powers are ceremonial in nature, there are some that she does, like she has the authority over the, the military as well as has to sign laws into effect. So that was very similar to the days of the kings and queens of old. And like them as well, Great Britain's monarchy is handed down from generation to generation. That is, you must be part of the royal lineage to become the next queen or king of the land. And so the idea of being a royal was a foreign one to them, the average Joe and Jane of the day, and it could be as well to us if you think about it. And yet God called them and he calls us to be a royal priesthood, royal, his people chosen by God and seen as people of great worth with significant influence. Priests, his people now with direct access to God and called to stand in the gap uh, for others. Scott McKnight, a professor in the seminary I attended, writes this about this whole topic. So what we have here is a distinct calling, the dual role of having an inherited privilege of ruling God's people and of serving as mediator between God and his people. To call all members of the new family of God a royal priesthood meant, number one, to wipe away any sense of physical lineage and heritage and to grant to these same people the highest statuses that one could imagine in Judaism kings and priests. So when people read Peter's letter, this was a big deal. This was a big day, as it is for us as well. For God is saying his chosen people are a royal priesthood. This means that you and I have the profound privilege and the sole responsibility to stand in the gap between Jesus' loving invitation and a broken world. Excuse me. It is our universal calling. It is why we are still here. Because Jesus wants as many people like you to come to know him and be with him forever and ever. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. People of high value with great purpose Holy, that is, a set-apart for God, his special possession. And then Peter crescendos with his closing phrase, his phrase, calling us both upward and outward, upward in praise of him and outward to others. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. God, through the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, Jesus has called people out of darkness, the darkness of sin, into the light of his truth and his presence. We no longer need a priest or a pastor to stand in the gap. We are that priest. We have full access to God anytime we want it. And we are called to introduce others to Jesus so that they too can watch him move them from darkness to light. 
So what do you do if you're in that place, that time where you don't quite connect with the wonderful light part? I mean, you, you get it. You know that God has delivered you into his wonderful light and out of the darkness, but, but you're still like, you, you don't feel like you're living there. You feel like it's kind of cloudy. You can see the sun sort of, kind of, but not really. Well, Peter addresses this later in Second Peter. And you can turn there if you like. I'm going to read it to you. Um, I don't have a slide for this, but I'm going to read it to you. You can close your eyes, too, if you'd rather not turn, if that helps you concentrate, whatever works. In verse 9, Peter acknowledges that we can get in this place, and he says this is when we're nearsighted or blind, which is very similar to, to being cl- having a cloudy vision of the sky and the, the brightness. And I want to start back in verse 3, because he says in this part of the, the Scriptures, You have everything you need. You are a royal priesthood. You can reign and rule over the darkness, and you're called to it. He starts with this in verse 3, chapter 1 of 2 Peter. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. And then he goes on to talk about how we grow, how our faith is meant to grow. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, that is, things are clouded, the light is not as bright, forgetting that they have been cleansed from past sins. See, the truth of the matter is, If you've decided to follow Christ, you are no longer in the darkness. You are in the brightness of his presence. But the truth of the matter is, if we're not growing in our faith, if we're not continuing to move forward, we can soon find ourselves believing that it's true but not really experiencing it. And God wants us to do both. We are to declare God's grace and truth to a hurting and broken world which needs what we have as much as we do. Let me say that again. We are made to declare God's grace and truth to a hurting and broken world which needs what we have as much as we do. And what is it that we have? Jesus Christ and each other. You know, CPC is a great church, but it's not a perfect church. If you've been around here long enough, you know that because it's made up of imperfect people. But God loves the church of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die for it, and he intends for people to be involved and engaged in a local church to do the thing that he's called us to do, that universal calling. You know, people that do not know Jesus yet may not even know they need him. That's okay. Share him with them anyway. And see what the Holy Spirit does with that. That's our calling. That's why we're still here. You know, last Sunday we were asked to consider two questions kind of way, as a way to evaluate the end of our day or the end of our week. They were, 
Number one, did I stand on Jesus or did I stand on the approval of others? That is, was my faith firmly rooted in him? Was he at the center of my life? Or did I really live my life so that others would say nice things about me? Number two, did I help others stand on Jesus or did I stand on them? Did we encourage others in their faith and belief and trust of him or did we just use them? Here's one I'd like to suggest we add to the list. As I live out the high calling in God, for whom, I, for whom did I stand in the gap by introducing them to Jesus? That's something I think we could ask daily, weekly. Who did I stand in the gap for? That doesn't mean that you have to sit down every day with somebody and say, hey, sit here, I need 20 minutes of your time, I'm going to take you through the gospel from A to Z. But it does mean that you can invite them to come closer to know him by how you love them, how you care for them, what you do for them, and how you point them to the Lord of your life. You know, as a way to proclaim the truth of the scriptures, I'm going to have you all stand in just a minute, and we're going to proclaim this scripture, a version of it, over ourselves. Rather than me, the pastor, proclaiming it over you, I want you, God's chosen people, God's royal priesthood, to proclaim it over all of us. So let's stand together. And let's recite this in unison together. You, O God, proclaim this to be true of us. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So we will, with your help, declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good and you are God and your word is true, even if we don't always get it or feel it. Help us, O Lord, to align ourselves with your word instead of trying to make your word fit into our own thinking and our own agenda. Help us to be people that sit under your word instead of people who sit in judgment upon it. Lord, we pray for anybody that's in this room that still doesn't know what it means to be known by you, loved by you, accepted by you, forgiven by you. Would you, O oh Lord, by the unction of your spirit, lead them towards yourself? And would you, O oh Lord, give them somebody that they can reach out to to talk about where they are? For Jesus really matters. And our calling to be your royal priesthood matters in line with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.